Cinephiles, audiophiles, ladies and germs, welcome to the Film Cult Podcast. Tonight, it's someone who really doesn't need an introduction, but I'm going to give one anyway. He is not only one of my favorite modern cinematographers, he's the Emmy-nominated DP of Mindhunter, cinematographer of the upcoming Devotion, Michael Mann's Ferrari, David Fincher's The Killer. He's been gaffer for projects like Mad Men, Gone Girl, Ant-Man, and Life. And of course, he's the BSC, ASC, and yes, Academy Award-winning cinematographer of Mank. It's Eric Messerschmidt. Eric, how are things? Hey, Robert. How are you? Nice to see you. Thanks for having me. So you're across the pond right now. How's Are you prepping right now or are you actually shooting? I'm just finishing a film. I just finished uh, a film Ferrari with Michael Mann. We've been shooting in Italy. So yeah, we uh, we just wrapped up this weekend. So we're uh, we're all done. It's been a long shoot. So how's going and working with somebody like Michael Mann after kind of a long time with with Fincher? Because Fincher it really kind of wants to keep things to like Dolly and Sticks. Michael Mann's the complete opposite director. So <laughs> <laughs> how how was that? Were you? I guess you kind of just start blank to begin with all the time. I try. I mean, yeah, you know, it's, I, I, I think you have to, you have to approach each project with as open a mind as possible and you have to see, you know, it's, I, I, uh, I want to be as much of an amoeba as I can and, and, and fit myself, you know, I, I, the best analogy I can think of is that each director is, is their own little machine and you have to, you know, you're just a cog that fits in their machine. You have to figure out how to, how to, um, how to form yourself to fit within their machine as best you can, you know? Um, and, uh, and yeah, you know, I mean, Michael is, is, is completely different from David, you know, certainly in, in his process and his shooting style and in his development and his scouting, all of, all of it, you know? And, um, and for me, it's, it's just kind of a, a process of learning what that person needs for me and how I can help them the most and, and, and where I, where I can be the best creative partner to them, you know? So do you kind of start out with a, a very basic package in, in your mind? Like, do you, I, uh, I guess, do you think it as a, as a two camera setup, no matter what you're going to go shoot film wise, or do you always have like three camera package? Like, do you, what kind of like a base level do you start off with always? Uh, uh, no, no. I mean, I, I, I don't bring anything, any preconceived ideas at all, honestly. I mean, I assume we're going to have a camera, you know, <laughs> beyond that, uh, no, I, you know, I mean, it's look, if a director said, Hey, I want to shoot the whole thing on a 40 millimeter lens, I'd be great. Okay. Let's figure out how we're going to do that. You know? And, um, uh, you know, some directors are very specific about stuff like that. You know, David is very, is quite specific about how he wants to work. Usually, you know, so I want to, I want to work with one set of primes. I want to work with two or three cameras and we're going to be, you know, static or maybe we're handheld on one shot in the movie or whatever, you know, but he's, he's generally quite, quite specific. Michael, um, is is uh is more visceral in his approach i think you know you could say he's he's he uh um he's less tied to to pre-visualization and, and preconceptions about how he's going to approach each scene you know um and he's more open to using zoom lenses and handheld cameras and the steady cam he wants to move the camera a lot you know and for me it's like look it's, it's the the frame is the director's property as far as i'm concerned you know and uh and the you know, we're here to bring tools to the 
to the to the party and and support the director as best we can and and figure out what what it is we can contribute you know as cinematographers so um no i I don't you know i don't i don't pick anything i mean i do try to i try to pick the best camera system that i think is the most appropriate for for a given project you know and we look at uh, you know there's a testing process always that goes into the into the work and um you know an evaluation process as you go through the script and you look at the at the locations you're you're working towards or what your visual effects situation is or, or uh you know uh what the post pipeline is like etc and you know that helps you make those those camera choices and the optics choices and all that stuff and certainly you know like how are you processing the, uh, the footage and you know whether or not you're going to shoot film or digital or you know however the conversation is going to go um, but for me it's it's all you know script based and director based and project based you know i'm always it's a blank slate i'm always curious about this in in, in terms of cinematographers do you kind of think of things at a low light and then you try to bring it up to whatever I guess the director would need or do you always feel like you're over lighting and then trying to to cut that down um that's a good question no I I I like to use it depends I mean it, it, it really depends on how much the director wants to move the camera and what 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 you're going for aesthetically I think you know I mean sometimes like on devotion you know, we did a lot of lighting because we wanted this kind of contrasty, very kind of portraiture, painterly look that requires contrast and needs shape. And um, so I was lighting with a lot of light on that movie, you know, more than I would maybe with David or or even with Michael. You know, we were um, we were using a lot of light and then I was using ND on the camera. And part of that was, you know, the way that the light falls off when you use, you know, large amounts of light. And, uh, a lot of, you know, a lot of it had to do with the fact that we were in these kind of top lit, practical, uh, practically lit interiors that needed contrast and shape. So, so, um, you know, I, it depends. I mean, I think, you know, uh, it's really about what we're, what we're going for. You know, I mean, I think that what's, what's in vogue right now is this kind of no light style of lighting, um, you know, and, 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 you know, sensors, a lot of digital sensors and film too, you know, they get, get quite desaturated when they're underexposed and they, you know, you kind of lose shape. And I don't always like that look, to be honest. I mean, I think it's, it's a little bit overused these days and people get off on, Oh, how little light can I use, et cetera. Um, you know, for me, that doesn't, it used to excite me more and it doesn't really excite me at all anymore. I mean, I like things dark, you know, when they're appropriate to be dark and I like, you know, I, I like to push the boundaries when it seems right for the film, but, um, but I'm not, I, you know, I, I think the, the lighting technique that I'm using on a given project is really project based, you know, and I would like, you know, I, I lit the movie with with Michael completely differently than I than I would have with David or, or, or with J.D. Dillard or anyone else that I work with. You know, it's like it's it has everything to do with what we're trying to make. There's a lot of outdoor stuff in Devotion. Was that particularly hard? <laughs> because like, <laughs> you're you're scouting that months in advance. So like when you are actually on the day, you never know what's going to happen. Like anything can happen. It's weather. So it, was that like kind of a little bit annoying that this is a very in the daylight movie? Yeah, I, yeah, it is. I mean, you know, we devotion was a film we really wanted to make. JD, when I first met JD about it, he uh, he said, "Look, I want to make a classic." american film like a kind of a classic like you know what we all you know i'm like a kid of the 80s you know so i grew up watching um you know the kind of classic american tentpole uh 
singular, you know, Raiders, Close Encounters, you know, Flight of the Navigator, you know, these kinds of movies, you know, Batteries Not Included, you know, those kinds of, you know, one-off Hollywood pictures that, that are sort of classically made. Um, and, uh, and JD was like, well, let's try and make a, a film in that style, like a very classic film, but, but make it feel, feel the period, but also modern, you know, how do we, how do we apply all three of those things? And, and, and one of the things we did was, uh, was we really prepped the film and, and the intention was to kind of make sure that every shot we shot made it in the, in the film. You know, we really wanted it to be a, a, a sequence of events that took place. And it was, it didn't mean we didn't shoot coverage on the dialogue scenes or the dramatic scenes necessarily, but we, we were quite careful to make sure that, you know, the B camera shot was a usable intended shot and the BA camera shot would carry. And we would, you know, try to make a thing out of these developing master shots and wonders and kind of classical American style of coverage. And, um, and so the film uh, was, was very designed you know, for better or worse. And, and, and the day exteriors, you know, as a result, we're, we're designed around the sun as much as we could. And, and, you know, you always roll the dice and like you said, it could be rainy or it could be uh, overcast or, or, or really windy or whatever. And it changes the plan and what it, what it is you can do. And, you know, we try to roll with it as much as we can. And, you know, that's the, one of the points of anxiety for a cinematographer, I think, but uh, yeah, you know, we, um, we really wanted it to be to to feel like it was it was coming from a place of advanced thought, you know, that it was like it wasn't we didn't just go record, you know, that we were like we're, the camera's supposed to be here and the, you know this block the, the scene is blocked for this position and then it's going to cut to this piece and it, it's going to feel quite logical in the way it, it lays out. Um, you know that that was that was kind of what we wanted and um, yeah, you know the, the exteriors in that movie are complex and a lot of them are 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 made up of multiple locations and some of which were shot, you know, uh, months apart, you know, particularly the final sequence. I don't know. Have you seen the film or, um, but it's, there's, there's a sequence at the end, there's a crash scene that's shot, you know, it's whole sections that are shot different times of the year. And it's, you know, it's an assembly of, of locations. So it had to be quite structured. Do you as a cinematographer, like, I guess the advantage or the, I guess, I don't know. I've top light and, and how it's advanced throughout the ages, because now you have things like the sky panel and you can throw them all on there and, and, and we can do a big rig up there. Do you like the advances that I guess top light has, has come over the, over the last few decades, or do you still prefer like not going towards that and, and trying a little bit of a, of an old school technique? I, um, well, I mean, I think I, I, I go back and forth. I mean, sometimes it's like, don't do anything at all. You know, I mean, I, yeah, I would prefer not to do anything at all in most cases, you know, it's like, let's just let the room light the actors and see where we get, unless you're going for something very stylized or you're, or you're going for a particular look, you know, um, I like top light um, in general, because I like, I just kind of like the way it looks and, and I like, I also like the freedom it gives the director. Um, I don't think everyone needs shape on their face all the time. I don't think that you have to light with, you know, um, the kind of Caravaggio style contrast all the time, even though we all love the way that looks, you know, it's not always right for the film. And, um, and, uh, and so it's, you know, I, 
I like Top Light for that reason, and Top Light can be beautiful. I mean, look at The Godfather. You know, it's, it's the quintessential example of great Top Light. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, it's it's it used to be that we would have to tear the ceilings off sets and put you know big big overhead bay lights in the, in these set pieces, and that would be your Top Light fill or whatever. You know, the kind of Conrad Hall room tone thing. And um, and nowadays we can throw stereo tubes up and put muslin over them and light with. 15 foot candles and it's good, you know? So that's, um, that's that in terms of technology, technology and technology advancing that technique. Yeah, of course it's great, you know, but it's, again, it's, you know, it's so, so based on what the aesthetical intent, the aesthetic intent is, of whatever it is you're trying to do is, you know, I mean, I, um, we, there's a night exterior and devotion, a, a quite elaborate one or that's, a, you know, it's a, long tracking shot it looks like a city cam shot it's not actually it's a it's a it's a handheld gimbal but you know we worked on it all day and we choreographed the whole thing all day and it's, it's quite elaborate at night and that that scene had, a, had an enormous top light on a, on a construction crane and that's how we lit it but um you know it's there, there are 50 ways to light that shot it was just how we you know how we chose to do it based on what the logistics were where we could park things and what we were going to see and what we could hide and what we could paint out and all that stuff you know well, even when you're shooting something like the um, zoo sequence in Mank, and you have to then overcompensate for the light to keep it because you were shooting day for night for that, correct? Or like, That's how, right. how essentially did that sequence come to be? We, you know, we talked about it a lot. We, you know, we went and looked at the location that we were, sh- we were going to shoot the scene in. It's Huntington Gardens in Pasadena, California, which is very restrictive. And, and David and I discussed it as well, you know, we, we could do this at night, but we want to see, you know, the whole point of the scene is to see this vast estate, you know, this kind of Xanadu thing of uh, Hearst Castle and, the, and the, the scope of the property. And um, to do that as a night exterior is expensive and logistically complex and and, and also um, quite uh, complicated for the location, you know, and and, um, um, and, and, and probably wasn't realistic, you know. so. Um, I, I had done, um, some day for night work with Ridley Scott on, on the race by wolves TV show. Um, and he had, he had, he and Darius Wolski had, had developed this idea of doing day for night, you know, on the alien planet. And, and so I was shooting, when I was shooting that show, I sent David some stills of what we were doing. I said, look at this, this is pretty cool. You know, we graded everything down and pulled the highlights down, and added, uh, added color and, um, kind of made it monochrome and I, I thought it looked cool, you know, so I sent it to, to Fincher and I said, look, this is neat. And he said, oh, maybe this is what we can do for that scene. And um, so that's kind of what happened. And then we went and looked at the location. We looked at some position and, you know, of course, the, you know, the, the one caveat to day for night is it really only works in backlight, um, you know, in front light, it can look, it can look quite fake, I think, and um, kind of takes the audience out of it a little bit, in my opinion. But um, so we, you know, we, we blocked all the, you know, the entire scene around where the sun was going to be. And, you know, that's kind of how we, how David and I work anyway. It's, you know, even if it's a day exterior, you know, we're still blocking around the sun generally, you know, which is one of the nice things about working with David. But um, uh, yeah, I mean, that, that was, that was fun. You know I mean? It's sort of, it only works in, in certain scenes, you know, you can't do it in every scene, but it worked well for that movie, I think. Well, and then like for, for Gary, you, how essentially did you design the the ND filter um, contacts? Because oh, you heard that story, yeah. <laughs> I, I find that inherently fascinating. Like I love everything about that. 
Well, yeah, you know, I mean, the thing about day for night, especially in black and white, is um, is it has to feel like there's contrast, you know. So you have to really step on it, and and the, the camera um, has tremendous dynamic range. So so we're actually adding contrast, you know, and, and even a you know a midday day exterior, there's still a lot of light bouncing around the set, you know. There's there's all the top light from the sky. There's all this. You know all the bounce off the off the environment, so the so the scene is kind of filled in in a way. Uh, so then to make it look like night, you know, we we replace the sky and we make it black, and then we sit on the midtones and sit on the highlights and make it all look really dark. Of course, when you do that, you take all the light off people's faces. Um, and so you can, you know, there's a couple things you can do. You can go into the grade and then you can apply power windows and pick people's faces out, um, which we did some of, uh, or you can apply fill. Um, which is which is really the, the best way to do it, and that's you know the old technique of doing it. You know they used to just take eight, you know twenty Ks and, and brute arcs and point them at the actors, and that's you know that's how the, that was done. Um, we were we were trying to be slightly more nuanced than that, so we we used a lot of bounce fill on Mank, um, but it was so much light in, in Gary and Amanda's faces that they they could barely look straight. You know they were squinting and they. Uh, they were struggling to look at each other. And when we did the initial camera test, Gary came out to me and he said, Hey man, I, you know, I really want to do whatever it is you guys need to do, but this is, it's going to be hard for me. And, uh, you know, I had worked with, with, um, specialty makeup people who had, you know, color changing contact lenses made, you know, they, they want an actor to have blue eyes, for example, or whatever. And they get the contact lenses printed that have a, a color changed iris. And we asked, well, could you make some that have neutral density filter instead? And the, you know, the, the contact lens place said, yeah, we can do whatever you want. So we had basically sunglass contact lenses made for Gary and Amanda and they wore them in the scene. Uh, and, you know, they were able to act and it looked like their, their eyes were open the whole time because they were. When you're doing something like that and then you go away from black and white for a little bit and now it's, <laughs> it's been a while since you shot black and white. Do you just kind of sit there like, damn, I can somebody do another black and white film? So because you you're playing with it that much at that point and you don't really get to play in the black and white genre all that often do you wish that you you had a few more films that i i got a few more tricks up my sleeve i i want to try i want to try some more yeah i mean you know when i finished mank i didn't really i had no desire to work in color anymore at all you know i mean i'd sort of lost interest i really enjoyed it but you know it's the thing is is i you know the black and white it it by definition sort of is a cliche of itself you know you and you have to be very careful i think as a cinematographer in terms of how you work in black and white and you know because it is such a departure from what people are used to seeing um it's a wonderful thing and i love it and it's it's really every time i get the opportunity to do it you know i just did some stuff um on ferrari where we you know we did some just tv footage basically you know interview sequences and you know um uh, what do you call it? Uh, you know, um, you know, kind of behind the scenes, you know, television footage and stuff. And that was fun to kind of explore in black and white again. But, um, but no, you know, I, I, I don't, I mean, it's short, there's, there's plenty of other things I would love to try and I look forward to the next opportunity, but you know, it's fun to work in color too. So, <laughs> you know, I, I just want an interesting project. That's all I really care about. Growing up, what were some of the initial images or movies or, or shots that really gravitated you towards being in film? I, you know, I mean, I think I was a pretty, 
pretty typical American kid. You know, I watched Star Wars repeatedly and I watched Raiders of the Lost Ark on, you know, I've probably seen it a hundred times and, um, you know, Close Encounters and Goonies, you know, all those movies, you know, um, of my childhood were, you know, pretty, pretty influential. And then of course, as I got older and I got, I got more exposed to cinema, I, I you know, I learned about foreign film and I started to watch, you know, I got, I got more, more diversity in my repertoire, you know? Um, but, you know, I think it's, there's, there's still a part of me that is, that, that loves, you know, Hollywood cinema for sure. You know, and, and, um, you know, I remember like watching Hitchcock movies with my father, you know, watching Vertigo or, or, um, Rear Window with my dad, you know, um, on, on a Sunday afternoon and him sort of explaining to me what that, what that was and how important that was, and, um, you know, to culturally. Um, and, uh, and I think it, you know, it made, it made me appreciate, um, uh, cinema from an, from an early age. Um, but you know, it's, I, I don't know. I think, uh, in a way, probably I was, I, I loved movies, but it didn't, it didn't even occur to me that, that I could make them, um, until I, I, you know, got a video camera as a kid and started playing around and I was like, oh, maybe I can make movies, you know, and I, I just love the process of making stuff, you know, building little sets and, you know, stealing lamps from my, from, from the living room and putting colored sheets over them to make colored light and, you know, doing the sort of creative stuff that you do to make movies. I was much more interested in that actually than I was in, 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 in the film in in storytelling in the beginning it was i just wanted to to kind of screw around and 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 make pictures you know moving pictures um you know <laughs> do you find yourself even past directors because you have worked as a gaffer and and you've had other positions in the film industry who are really the people that you've i i guess are getting influenced by in your own job w- would you say that you're maybe even grabbing more influence from the editors or, or, or the set design on how to improve your own job than even a director at this point. For sure. I mean, I, you know, I think that I really view the director as the, as the place that, you know, the singular point of inspiration or the, you know, that they're the diving board and, and they, um, you know, the director controls your ability to do good work basically, you know, I mean, it's, and I think, I think about it a lot, you know, it's like, there are plenty of great cinematographers that, that paired with the wrong director don't do good work. And and so it's, you know, that to me is the primary, the, the primary goal is to find a, a creative partner that you can work with and help. Um, uh, but, but, you know, no, I mean, I, I actually think in a way, um, the, the more time I, I do this job, the more connected I feel to the editor. Um, than anyone else. I mean, I really, I, I really started to to find that the thing that excites me the most about about filmmaking and and, and cinematography in particular is is the process of figuring out where to put the camera with the director, um, and thinking about the sequencing and how you're going to, you know, what footage you're going to provide to the editor later. You know, how are you going to protect yourself and where are you going to hold fast? And you say, no, 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 we're going to do this as a oneer and we're going to, sit, we're not going to cut and we're going to make this decision on the set. And then, oh, I don't know, maybe we need to, you know, give ourselves some options and how this is going to get. I love that process more than anything. Um, do you and, feel like you, know, you almost like coverage more than anything else when you're, when you're working then? 
Yeah, I mean, I like I like thinking about how you're going to manipulate time with the audience. I love that, you know, and I love the process of working through that with the director, you know, especially directors that want to have that conversation with you. You know, some directors are 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 they, you know, they don't want to have that conversation with the cinematographer necessarily, which is fine. You know, I mean, some directors are very clear. You know, Michael Mann, for example, is like, like I'm going to put the camera here, I'm going to put the camera here, I'm going to put the camera here, I'm going to shoot some long lenses, I'm going to move the camera around, and I'm going to figure it out. You know. Um, so he's less, he's less in that realm in terms of like collaborating and thinking about the, the, the process of, 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 of the sequencing with me, you know, it doesn't mean he's not doing it. He's doing it himself. You know, he's a master, but it's, but, um, you know, for me personally, I like the process of going through it with, with the director and thinking about how we're going to do it. And, um, you know, that it excites me and it's probably because I spent so much of my life lighting. Um, that it's, it's just not as fun, you know? Um, but, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I think that's where I'm most curious and I'm more interested, most interested in cinema is thinking about that and how, you know, you manipulate time and when you can, you know, when to use slow motion and how to slow things down and when to speed the cut up and how to think about things in terms of montage and how to think about things, you know, which are really director conversations, but it's, you know, it's a conversation that you can, you can really influence as, as a DP. Um, that you know that excites me. I mean, I, the the kind of the global aesthetic conversation that, that we that we come to, and that I think cinematographers get a, a disproportionate amount of credit for, um, is really a collaboration with the production designer and the costume designer and the makeup artist and the director, and you know, thinking the mise en scène of what it is we're doing every day. Um, I, for me, those those decisions are generally sort of reflexive. You know, if you've done your prep properly and you've thought about what it is you're trying to make, and and everyone is on a similar page in terms of palette and aesthetic, and you know, if the director is is short stopping the conversations properly, you know, in a way to say no, 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 not that color, not this, not this prop, like you know, you, you end up with a cohesive film just automatically in that process. I think you know, um, so that that is less. That's something I'm just less interested in in general. I mean, I like the conversation, but I, I think it's it's also really unfair to the other the other creative people in the movie for a DP to say, hey, I'm going to be the author of the image or I'm going to be the sole author of the palette or whatever. You know, I think that's uh, actually quite disrespectful to, to make that suggestion. So, you know, I like to participate in the conversation, but I'm, I'm much more interested in the, in the kind of storytelling part of part of the job than I am the aesthetic one actually. Are you happy about the advances in technology? Because like you're saying story and, and lenses, especially old lenses, like for instance, the Lawrence of Arabia long lens that tells <laughs> that's telling you something just by that image, like aesthetically it just is, it, but it's past. Yeah. It's kind of past aesthetically at that point. Do you like seeing the advances in technology and things like, the Alexa 35, for instance, or do you find yourself wanting maybe use older equipment and seeing what you can manipulate that way and, and getting, I guess, an emotion over an aesthetic at that point? Well, I think I, uh, I, it's, look, it's fun to experiment for sure, you know, and, and I think, you know, at this point, the tools are all so good. You know, they are so good and, and they're better than they, you know, the lenses are sharper than they've ever been. The cameras have more resolution than they ever have. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, 
there will, you know, there will obviously continue to be minute advances every year, you know, in terms of dynamic range and color fidelity and, you know, gamut and, and um, you know, the resolution of display devices and grading and, you know, uh, we're probably, you know, approaching the, 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 the end of, of, of applied physics in terms of the sharpness of lenses, but we'll see, you know, but, but I think, you know, it's, um, we're, we're at a point now where, you know, we're sort of at a peak oil place, I think, in terms of, of, um, uh, of cinema technology, for sure. You know, I mean, the lighting end of things is really exciting. What's happening with LEDs and, you know, um, full spectrum LEDs and color mixing and all that stuff, I think is, is, is super interesting, but, uh, no, I mean, I, I like to experiment. I, I think, um, I think the thing about it is, is like, particularly with camera, it's, it's sort of like, you know, it's, it's comparing cameras is like asking, uh, guitar players to, to tell you which electric guitar is the best, you know, it's like, Oh, is the Les Paul or the Stratocaster better, you know? And Eric Clapton will tell you one thing and Jimmy Page will tell you the other. And they'll both have their reasons. And the reality is, is they're both great guitar players and they're both great guitars. Um, so I find the kind of the camera conversation in general a little bit tiresome at this point because they are all so good. Um, and, and in the end, ultimately, it's sort of like, okay, well, what is it I need to do? Am I going to play an acoustic here? Am I going to play an electric? Am I, do I need a lot of distortion? Do I need a hollow body? Like, what's the right, what's the right tool for the, for the, for the music I want to make? Um, and unfortunately, the way that the, that, cinema products are marketed in the way that, 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 uh, you know, the, the, um, the advertising of cinema goes, it's like, Oh, well, this camera was used on this film. So this, you should use this camera on this film, et cetera. You know, and, and I just don't, I don't really subscribe to that. I, I think it's, it's far more nuanced and, and sophisticated than that. Um, and it's, and it's just important to think about what it is you're just trying to make that, that, uh, you know, from the onset and then find the tools to fit. Um, I don't know, does that answer your question? Yeah, yeah, of I'm course. Not sure well, it does. Do, do you do, do you also look at thirty five, like thirty five or sixteen, like actual film in the same way as as in in regards to digital? Just pretty much, if it fits the actual story that I'm going for, I'll use it. But I'm not going to try to push one one or the other at this point. Yeah, of course. But I, you know, I think I think what's lost on people a lot is is the balance, like the aesthetic reality of you have, you know, you sort of on one side of the coin, you have intent, right? Like you have, you have, you know, the kind of Stanley Kubrick idea, I'm making this shot and I'm going to do whatever I need to do to get this shot made. I'm going to shoot for three days until this is this, I get this shot, you know? Um, and then you have the kind of the, the French new wave side of things where it's like, we're just going to run around. We're going to, you know, the kind of Lars von Trier thing of like, we're just going to get something. They're both completely valid ways to make cinema. Um, but you know, one is sort of working practice based and one is intent and, and, and pre-visualization based, you know, and they're, they, they have this balance and, you know, I think every filmmaker is sort of in between that, you know, the kind of Cassavetes, David Fincher thing or whatever you want to call it, you know, this idea of like, okay, I'm going to do this or I'm going to be very free and open and I'm going to get a bunch of things and I'm going to assemble them in the edit room. And, and, you know, every filmmaker is sort of in the spectrum between to some degree. Um, and, and so I, you know, for me, it's like the, the, when it comes to the conversation around film, 
you know, film has an enormous effect on the working practice of the set. It affects how quickly you can work. It affects how much you can shoot. It affects the efficiency of the of the environment. You know, it, it forces you to stop, which, you know, a lot would argue myself included that that's good for the set to, you know, to stop every four minutes and think about it for a second and look at this, look at playback and to figure out what you need to do and then go again. You know, the kind of rhythm of it is healthy. Um, you know, you can do that if you shoot digitally, but you're forced to do it if you shoot film. Um, but there, you know, there are other factors as well. And, and I think that that's, that it's all too often just the, you know, the look of film is the conversation or the aesthetic of film is the conversation, but there's a whole other part of it. That's incredibly important to talk about in terms of like, well, this is how it's going to affect your day. And this is how it's going to affect the rhythm of the actors. And, you know, some actors want to go and you want to be able to reset, go again and do pickups and kind of, you know, if you, you know, if you have a really dramatic scene or someone's crying, you probably don't want to, you know, pull, you know, throw up a, a, a short end or, you know, can out a thousand footer and throw another thousand footer on or whatever. You know, it's like you, you want to be able to roll for 30 minutes, maybe, um, you know, or maybe your actors need, you know, maybe you're working with kids and you have to stop for a second and talk to them and calm them down. You're, you know, so you, maybe it works. Um, and that, that for me is, is, is a much more important conversation to have if you're having a conversation about whether or not you're going to shoot film than, than the visual aesthetic, because the reality is, and, and a lot of my colleagues will kill me for saying this, you can get extremely close aesthetically now to, you know, it'd be very difficult to tell the difference, I, I think, whether or not something was shot on film. But the process of shoot, shooting film influences people. I'm sure Chris Nolan would, would disagree with me. And I think part of that is probably because he likes the process of it and he likes the rhythm of the set and how it affects it. And he likes the, the process of screening dailies and, you know, the, the kind of discipline of that, which I really admire, you know. And for me, it's just the conversation is not nearly, um, it's not, it's not nearly as simple as, oh, it's just about the look. Cause it's not, you know, do you think there's maybe a little something gone from the old days because it's not slowed down anymore? Like, do, do, Absolutely. do, do you think that some oh, yeah. directors honestly maybe need to take a look at how they used to shoot absolutely. and slow it down again? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think there's, you know, there's a, there's a part of it. I like working with older directors because I like the discipline that they bring to the set a lot. You know, um, I like, I like directors who are used to use, you know, they have time in the chair, you know, they've been there, they know the deal. They, they've, they, they know how to do it properly. And, and so then when they want to make a departure, they're, they're making an educated decision. They're not just making a mistake, <laughs> you know, um, not to say there isn't anything wrong with making mistakes, but, but yeah, I mean, I, I think that there is, there's really something to be said for the way things were done and learning from them. And it doesn't mean that we have to do things the same way all the time, or that we have to, we can't change, or we can't change the way we work, or we shouldn't push each other. But I think, you know, kind of standing on the shoulders of those who did it before us and learning from them and and, and taking the, that craft and expanding upon it is really important for, for us, especially in terms of moving forward and, and, um, and getting better at what it is we do. As somebody who's worked in both television and film, do you find it a little hard to step into a television show? Because unless you were there to set the look of and, and tone of yeah, the, the thing to begin with, I would, I personally would find that a little bit more challenging than just starting from scratch on a film. Yeah, I think so. I mean, it's a little bit like, 
I think stepping, you know, stepping into a TV show is kind of like being a, a for hire prose writer in a way, you know, it's like, you're, you're just, Hey, here's the column you're writing this week, you know, and you know, which it's a good exercise for people, you know, in terms of cinema literacy and learn, you know, you come in, you have a few days of prep, you say, oh, okay, oh, that's what they're doing here. They're using this technique. They're using this, these lenses, you know, this is the environment of the set that actors uh, that actor doesn't like to hit their marks. That person's very unprepared. That person's super prepared. That person doesn't go along with it. You know, you sort of learn to read the room quickly. Um, and and I think, you know, that's fun. It can be challenging, but it's fun. I, you know, it's and, and it's a good exercise for learning that it's not about authorship. You know, it's it's often just about execution. And and you know, sort of doing good work is 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 in the nuances of what it is you're doing day to day it's not necessarily the overarching kind of um big picture ideas of what it what it looks like you know the look or or whatever you want to call it which i, I think is kind of a dangerous term but um you know it's it's more about like execution and and organization and structure you know are you ever worried about outside influences when you're on set so do you when you go home do you try to just not watch a movie, not put on television, or do you, or are you able to disconnect the two? Um, no, I can't. I I get so uh, absorbed in what it is I'm doing and, and completely like overwhelmed with it. Like I, I'm just constantly questioning whether or not I'm making the right choice. <laughs> you know, it's like, like uh, so I I it's. It, I mean, I kind of look at everything and I'm always like, oh, it's just, maybe I should do it like that. Oh, maybe that's cool. Oh, maybe I should do it like, you know what I mean? It's like, and, um, you know, generally like I find like if I'm, I'm focused enough and I get to the setup, you know, I'm pretty decisive when I'm working, but then I, then I ruminate about it when, you know, at the end of the day, that, you know, that's sort of my process. But, um, but I, you know, I, I try to be quite decisive and prepared and say, okay, no, okay, now we're doing this, we're going to do this, et cetera, you know. Um, and then I was, yeah, and I go home and worry about it. Uh, but no, I, you know, I don't, I mean, I, I like to absorb as much as I can. I, I mean, I think music is really good. It's like, I actually, I, li- I like listening to music on the way to work and kind of, you know, think about what the scene is and try to put something and that might put me in the mood to think about it properly. You know, I love that you mentioned it. Cause that was my next question. <laughs> I, I like, how much would you say that music has influenced you grow like from growing up to now? Because I, as far as I'm concerned, I feel like most great art, it's being influenced by music in one way or the other. As far as I'm concerned, do you kind of agree with that? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think it's like, you know, it was, it was, look, like Michael Mann is a great example. I think there are very few people that use music better than he does. You know, he's someone that is constantly thinking about how he's going to assemble it and thinking about music and sound and, um, you know, as as a DP, that's been really helpful. Thinking about how the, how the sound is going to play a part, you know, and how it's how music is going to play a part. And for me, it's like I I think filmmaking is so much more about pace than we even give it credit for. Um, so you know, thinking about music and listening to music and thinking about beat and pace and cutting and all that stuff is 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 has been helpful for me, you know, for sure. You know, yeah. Is the killer done? Is it, can we expe- are we expecting that next year now? I, I you know I I can't say because I don't know, but um, <laughs> but but I I can say we're 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 in the midst of post and we're we're 
in the middle of of, uh, of the DI as we speak. And and um, so past the killer then and Ferrari and devotion. What else are you working on thinking about? What else can we expect from you coming up then? I uh, it looks like I'm going to go do a pilot um, with Ridley Scott in the spring, and then um, you know it's, uh, that, that looks like that's that's going to happen, and then uh, and then after that, who knows? You know, we'll see. I'm looking for stuff. You know, I, I need a little bit of time off. It's been a long movie. We've been we were in northern Italy all summer long, and um, it was hot. It was hot, and and uh, and uh, it was a lot of hard work. So. Looking forward to a little bit of time off coming into the holidays here, but yeah, we'll see. You know, just looking looking for uh, looking for the next thing to do for sure. How many months did you shoot Ferrari for? We shot, boy, I don't know, sixty days, I think, whatever that is. Okay, and then I had some prep. Yeah, can yeah. we get, can we expect some? some lavish shots from you <laughs> coming up in this one. <laughs> <laughs> I think we did some pretty good work. You know, I, uh, I'll let you judge for yourself when the movie comes out, but I, I think we did some pretty good work. I'm very excited. Well, thank you, Eric, for coming on. It really means everything to me. You are one of my favorite cinematographers. My, my cat's name is Fincher. And if you want to know that story, <laughs> I, I said at Oscar season, if David finally wins the Oscar, we will, we will get a cat. And we will name it Fincher, but then you won, and I'm like, "Fuck it, we're getting a cat." I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> it was, it was maybe right we, we didn't know if because it's a girl. We're like, do we call it Mank, and then it encompasses you and David? But then we're like, ah, we'll just keep it at Fincher. <laughs> it's oh, a little bit of cool. a girl's name, I guess. That's cool. I'll tell him that. I'll, I'll, I'll let him know. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you cool. so much for coming on. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me. Nice to see you. Of course. And next one, please come on. You're always a friend of the show. All right. Sounds good. Appreciate it. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening. This concludes our broadcast day.